We are finally concluding this podcast series on the Ten Commandments as we talk about the final Tenth Commandment, which is found in Exodus 20, verse 17. And it says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male or female slave, or ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So join us on this episode of the Methodical Methodist Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Methodical Methodist Podcast, a podcast where we talk about why the church is still relevant for us today as we explore themes connected to religion, politics, pop culture, faith, and yes, even the church. Together, we can find out what it means to live into the mission of the church by making disciples. Now, let's get methodical. We can see a direct connection between the last commandment and the first commandment. You shall have no other gods but me. As Ellsworth Callis points out, coveting is a spiritual matter, just like the first commandment is. Breaking either commandment results in failure of putting God first. Coveting is our desire for things without regard for the rights of others. It's not simply desiring something, but it's wanting what belongs to another. It's this idea of keeping up with the Joneses, and the grass is always greener on the other side. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting things, but the trouble is when we want something because it belongs to our neighbor. It happens when we are constantly comparing ourselves to others and and thinking that we aren't where we should be in relation to our neighbors. For some, it can become compulsive, where you are continuously wanting what others have just because they have it and you don't. St. Aquinas stated it well when he said, Our desire has no limits because our desire is boundless and our desire is contagious. Coveting is often nearsighted. When we engage in the act of coveting, we don't really think about how coveting our neighbor's spouse or onks or donkey or, or maybe the contemporary version of that would be escalator convertible. We don't really think about how that will negatively affect our neighbor's family or our own. We are solely focused on our own wants and desires that we are too busy to think about how our coveting might affect others. It's no surprise that we struggle with this commandment, though, because we live in a place in the world where there is an abundance of stuff. We are bombarded with commercials about things that we just have to have, and this makes way for consumerism to grow. Our country is a breeding ground for coveting. In his book, The Throning Mammon, Justin Welby, who is the Archbishop of Canterbury, writes the following. The problem with materialism is not that it exists, but that it dominates. It shouts so loudly that it overrides our caring about other things of greater value. I'm reminded of the story of a rich young man who goes to Jesus and asks, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, obey all of the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie and honor your mother and father. And the young man says, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've kept all those commandments since I was a youth. I've got all that covered. 
But then Jesus looks at him and he says, oh yeah, uh, one more thing. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth. And then you can come follow me. And we're told that it was at that point that the young man walked away sad because he was very wealthy. Notice the commandment that is missing in this list from Jesus is the tenth commandment. You shall not covet. It's conveniently left out. It's never mentioned in this story explicitly, but Jesus still finds a way to single out this commandment. It's almost as if Jesus could pick up on the fact that this young man valued his possessions, and it was that commandment that Jesus essentially called him out on. So Jesus then turns to his disciples and said, It's hard for the rich to enter into heaven. I mean, it's really, really hard. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to get into the kingdom of God. Will Willeman talks about this quote that G.K. Chesterton has, where he says, you know, it may be possible to have a good debate over whether or not Jesus believed in fairies. It's a tantalizing question. Alas, it is impossible to have any sort of debate over whether or not Jesus believed that rich people were in big trouble. There is too much evidence on the subject, and it is overwhelming. Our wealth and money can sometimes get in the way of our walk with Christ. Sometimes we are too wrapped up in our material possessions that we end up ignoring what is most important. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, had a lot of things to say when it came to money. One of his famous quotes is, When I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find its way into my heart. There's a great story about a wealthy Persian who heard that somewhere in the world there was a vast store of diamonds. He went to bed that night a poor man. Poor because he was discontented, and discontented because he saw himself as poor. He sold his farm and began a worldwide search for the acres of diamonds, until he had spent his entire fortune in the quest. After his death, they found in his old farm the acres of diamonds he had so feverishly sought, the famed diamond mine of Golconda. In the story, we're told that each of us have acres of diamonds in our own lives. It is ironic that we spend so much time desiring other people's belongings that we fail to appreciate the value in the things that we already possess. Furthermore, when we covet our neighbor's possessions, sometimes we miss out on appreciating and growing in our relationship with our neighbors. I came across this great video of Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tversky talking about the love of giving. And in this video, Tversky says, Love is a word that in our culture has almost lost its meaning. He goes on to tell the story about the rabbi of Kursk who came across a young man who was clearly enjoying a fish that he was eating. He said, young man, why are you eating that fish? And the young man says, because I love fish. And the rabbi says, oh, you love the fish? Well, that's why you took it out of the water and killed it and boiled it. Don't tell me you love the fish. You love yourself. And because the fish tastes good to you, 
Therefore you took it out of the water and killed it and boiled it. So much of what is love is fish love. Rabbi Abraham Tversky goes on to say, And so a couple falls in love, but what does that mean? That means that he saw in this woman someone who could provide him with all of his physical emotions and needs. And she saw in this man somebody she feels that she can wed and love. But each one is looking after their own needs. It is not love for the other because the other person becomes a vehicle for their own gratification. Again, too much of what is called love is fish love. And external love is not, what am I going to get? Instead, it's, what am I going to give? People make a serious mistake in thinking that you give to those whom you love. The real answer is that you love those to whom you give. So true love is a love of giving, not a love of receiving. I think Rabbi Tversky is really onto something. There is power in giving instead of receiving. Generosity is something that we are called to do as Christians. We're called to give and give generously. In another great quote by John Wesley, he says, Having first gained all you can, and secondly saved all you can, then give all you can. As Christians, we are called to give not only our money, but also our time and talent. There was once a rabbi who asked a pastor the question, What is stewardship? The pastor replied, It's when the church asks for support for its ministry. The rabbi asked, Oh, do you mean money? The pastor answered, Yes, money, but also time and talent. To which the rabbi replied, You ask? Jews are told to give money. If you're a Jew, you give. Simple as that. I love that rabbi's response in the story. But as Christians, I don't think that we're commanded to give. I don't think we're forced to give. Instead, I think we are invited to give. We are compelled to give. There's a reason why we have an offering in the middle of our services on Sunday mornings. This is because giving our tithes and offerings is a crucial response. It's a crucial part of our worship. As Justin Welby states, Worship is how we tackle the deceiving effect of mammon, which corrupts and distorts the way in which we look at what we have, so that what we have we hold as though it were ours. In other words, giving is an act of worship. Our giving and worship is a way for us to realize that what God has given us doesn't really belong to us. Instead, it all belongs to God. John Toller of Strasbourg was a 4th century saint and mystic. One day, Toller came across a beggar, and he greeted him by saying, May God give you a good day, my friend. And the beggar quickly answered, I thank God that I've never had a bad day. Toller was silent for a moment. He was intrigued. So he continued the conversation, and he said, May God give you a happy life, my friend. The beggar quickly answered, I thank God I am never unhappy. Well, now Toller was confused. And so he asked, You're never unhappy? What do you mean? The beggar replied, Well, when it is fine, I thank God. When it rains, I thank God. When I have plenty, I thank God. When I am hungry, I thank God. And since God's will is my will, 
and whatever pleases God pleases me, why should I say that I am unhappy when I am not? Taller was now in complete awe of his new friend. Who are you? he asked. I am a king, said the bagger. A king, said Taller, half ready to believe it. Where is your kingdom? The man in rags spoke calmly. In my heart, he whispered. In my heart. Gratitude is an emotion that is seldom expressed, but we are invited to reflect on the importance of gratitude. We can think about the ways that we are called to be thankful for what God has done. We're invited to be content in the things that we already have. And we're invited to be generous to the church and to others. Because God has blessed us so that we can bless others. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Methodical Methodist Podcast. If you have enjoyed this show, I hope you might consider heading on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review of the show. It is very much appreciated. And until next time, stay methodical.